now as we get ready for the next half hour in our worship service, let's remember that all of this really is worship, uh, that even the giving, the, the, the tithing that we're reincorporating into our service, we're doing that because we want to remind ourselves that giving is a form of worship. Uh, just like preaching is a form of worship, just as reading God's word and praying is a form of worship, everything we're doing, we're giving it to God. We're telling, we're telling God that this is his, we're offering it to him because he is worthy of it, he has made it all, we are subject to him, and so that even includes this time in the Word. So pray with me, and let's pray that God will equip us over this next half hour to really worship Him as a result of this time in the Word. So please pray with me. Heavenly Father, everything belongs to You. You made everything. You made us, and all the property that we own, all the possessions we own, they are yours. You are just loaning it to us, Lord. May you make us good stewards of it. You have given us time. You have given us the very breath that we take. All of it is a loan from you that you will someday take back for yourself. So, Lord, may we use everything that you have given us as instruments of worship to praise you, to point others to you, and to show that you are our highest priority. Most of all, Lord, the best thing that you have given us is your Son, Jesus Christ, and the written word that is a testimony of that Son, Jesus Christ. May you also make us good stewards of your word this morning, that we may meditate on it, that we may understand it, and that we may apply it for your glory, Lord. May this be a time of worship. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen. Do you guys like to people watch? I kind of love to people watch. When I'm at the airport, I love to people watch. I love to try to figure out the story behind each person, kind of figure out where they're going, what they're doing. Yeah. I love doing the same thing at the mall. I'll go to the mall, and it's amazing to see different people walking down the aisles of the mall, and you can tell that each and every one of them, they have their own little identity, their own little brand that they like to subscribe themselves to. Some people will walk down and you can tell that they identify themselves as one kind of person, one particular style. You'll see another group of teenagers maybe walking down and, and you can tell that they identify according to a different way. They, they identify according to a different style. You'll even look at the different stores in the mall and every store is really not a store selling products or clothes, but really a store selling an identity. Think about that. Every store, even when you go to the mall, there may be 50 stores in the mall. You're only going to go to two or three of them because those are the ones that fit how you identify yourself. We really live in a culture here in the United States that is all about finding your identity. We're wrapped up in that, aren't we? What's your identity? How do you identify? Even on forms that we fill out, Instead of it just being, are you a man or a woman, the question will be, what do you identify as? And it will give you a box for other, that you can fill out whatever you want. By the way, there's only man or woman. This isn't a sermon on that. But it's just amazing how wrapped up we are in, in what we identify as. I, I realized even the other day, uh, my sister, she told me that uh, she has multiple Instagram accounts. 
My younger sister, she's in college, uh, she, she's on Instagram, but I found out for the first time that uh, it's possible for a person to have multiple Instagram accounts because each account will have a different kind of identity to it. They'll be the same person, but she'll say, well, this is my music Instagram, and, and this is my movies Instagram, and, and this is my school Instagram. And she'll promote herself in a different way. She'll, she'll act slightly differently. She'll post and comment on different things on different accounts according to her identity. The fact of the matter is, is what you identify as impacts your behavior. Whatever you identify as, what you think your identity is, will impact the way that you behave. It'll impact the way that you dress. It'll impact the way that you talk. It'll impact the way that you act and the people that you spend your time with. Identity impacts behavior. So the question remains for you, whether you consider yourself a Christian or not, what do you identify as? What do your actions, maybe is the better question, say that your identity is? How do you identify, uh, how, how do you define yourself, and do your actions reflect that? This morning in Colossians chapter 3, Paul is going to continue teaching the Colossians how to live in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord. And just like in previous weeks, he's been focusing on perspective in determining your behavior and determining your obedience. Today, in Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 through 11, Paul is going to focus on identity. He's going to talk about the identity that Christians are supposed to pursue and the kind of identity that Christians are supposed to reject. And like I said, that's going to happen in Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 to 11. So turn with me there to Colossians 3, 9 to 11. This is Paul giving a chapter of practicals. This is the heart of the letter itself. Paul is giving a roadmap explaining this is what it looks like to be a healthy Christian. This is what it looks like to grow as a Christian. This is the identity of a thriving believer. If there was any chapter in the New Testament that was worth memorizing, I challenge you, I encourage you to think about Colossians 3 as a project to memorize. Because Paul, verse after verse, just gives meat dripping off the bone of practicals on how to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, as he alluded to earlier in Colossians. And today, like I said, he's going to be focusing on identity. So read silently with me as I read verses 9 through 11. Paul says this. Paul says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. This is a passage about identity, meaning the big idea for this morning, the summary of what Paul is encouraging these Colossians to do is reminding them that they need to live with a heavenly identity, not an earthly one. And you have to ask yourself, as we consider this passage, even if you're a believer, do you shape your life as if you have a heavenly identity or as if you have an earthly one? 
Even if you're a Christian, do your thoughts, do your actions, do your words, do they reflect the reality that you see yourself as a future citizen of heaven, as someone who will be in the presence of Jesus, as someone who has been given a new identity, or despite being a Christian, are you comfortable with living basically the way everyone else here on earth lives? This is very similar to previous sermons on perspective. We talk about expositional preaching. Expositional preaching is the verse-by-verse study of the Bible. One of the tenets or one of the characteristics of expositional preaching is that it's going to be um, unmistakably repetitive. That as Paul's writing a letter, he's going to elaborate and repeat on themes. And so sermons, in the same way, you'll think I've heard some of this before. That's because Paul's been talking about this before. He's retelling these same lessons in different ways using different metaphors. Previously, he talked about being crucified with Christ and being raised to new life. Today, he's going to be talking about identity, what we put on and what we put off. Last week, we talked about that clothing imagery, how clothing was your identity. Paul is elaborating on that this morning. So if it seems like I'm repeating myself, it's not because I just ran out of content to to give in my sermon this morning, or I didn't know what good points to make out of the passage. It's because the verses themselves are reiterating these themes. That the heart of the Christian life, whether we call it focus, whether we call it perspective, whether we call it identity, the heart of all of this is faith. Faith is an attitude of dependence on what God has told you. And God has told us that if we have put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that our old self has been crucified and that we have been raised to new life, that we've been buried in baptism with Jesus Christ and we've been raised into new life. And also that there is now an old self and that there's a new self. Or maybe in your translation, maybe the way it's put is that there is an old man and there is a new man. And just like we take off old clothes, we need to put off the old identity and embrace the new identity. So that leads us then to point one. The first point that Paul is going to make in verse nine is that obedience, and if I was to give any kind of uh, maybe revision to this, just kind of in the moment, I would add the word only even to that, that obedience only comes from a new identity. Obedience is what pleases God. It's what honors God. Obedience is worship unto God. And it is impossible to truly have obedience to God without faith. And in the context of these verses, that's going to mean that it is impossible to have obedience to God without embracing your new identity and rejecting your old one. This is what Paul says in verse 9 when he says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self. Notice how he starts out that verse saying, do not lie to one another. Isn't that an interesting way to start the verse? There's two things that are significant with him starting verse 9 with the command to not lie to one another. The first significant thing is that that is the last specific sin that he lists in this passage at the beginning of chapter 3. A few weeks ago, we looked at the sex list, the list of sexual sins that Paul provides in verse 5. Last week, in verse 8, we saw the sins of anger and emotion and wrath 
that are very common to people? Well, the beginning of verse 9 is really the end of verse 8, that he ends those lists of sins with the final sin of do not lie to one another. This is meant to be a summary of all of those sins. It's meant to put a cap on that list. But here's something interesting about the New Testament when it talks about lying. Usually when we think about lying, we think of it almost in a childish way of not fibbing, not, not telling a lie. And, and that's true. That certainly falls into this. But when we look at the use of the word lying in the New Testament, very commonly, it goes deeper than that to say not just the fact that you're telling a lie, but that you are living a falsehood. That, that, that you are living or you are following something that is not the truth. Maybe the most famous example of this would be Romans chapter 1, verse 25, when Paul talks about those who started to embrace homosexuality and who started to reject their identity as men and as women. He says that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. It was more than just that they were committing these sexual sins. They were actually lying, is the way that the Bible describes it. They were looking at God's truth, and they were saying, God's truth is not true, my truth is true, and that in itself is a lie. I know it's such a common struggle for Christians right now to wonder um, how they should interact with people who prefer different pronouns or, or, or who want you to show up to weddings or ceremonies that are either pagan or embro embrace non-biblical ideas of gender. To go to those things and to endorse those things is more than just wrong. It's actually lying. It's saying that God's truth is not truth, and it's saying that people's truth is truth by just going along with it. When we as Christians claim to be a follower of Christ, we're claiming to have been crucified with Christ and raised to new life. When we don't live by faith, independence of that, when we don't live day to day with an attitude that actively wants to put off the old version of ourself that is crucified with Christ, we're actually living a lie. We're saying, yeah, I'm a Christian, but, but only a Christian in name only. Or yeah, I'm a Christian, but, oh, but only a kind of Christianity that uh, creates some kind of shallow version of morality. Paul starts out in verse 9 talking about Christians putting off the old self, and he starts out by saying, do not lie to one another. The reason for that is because the only way to truly please God is by a life of faith that actively considers yourself dead to sin and alive to God, and that actively, with, a, uh, uh, with an act of dependence in the heart, is choosing to reject the old version of yourself that used to love sin, to take it off just like one would take off a garment. But most of us, many of us at many times, we don't do that. And instead, what we fall into is in public when we come to church, we like to project a certain level of morality and obedience, but privately, we never put off the old self. Privately, when no one's looking, when we're just at home by ourselves or with our family, we still live in love and identify with the things that are characteristic of the old man, and we only show obedience in front of others when it benefits us. If you do that, you are lying. You are being deceitful. 
and you are not on meat, you're actually still on milk. You may be a Christian, but you're not a Christian that is growing because you're not a Christian that is walking by faith. A true Christian that walks by faith puts off the old self. That is the only way to please God. That's the only way to have obedience. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's the first point. The second point is this, transitioning now to the second point, that just as uh, obedience comes from a new identity, we have to put off our old identity, the old man. We also need to recognize that our new identity is found in Christ. Something that discourages me when I see baptisms at other churches is that people will get baptized and they'll describe this transforming of life or this renewal of life, which is good, but it's a renewal of life that, in, that is in of itself, that is still focused on the person. They'll say, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a brand new person, or oh, I just feel uh, t- totally refreshed and new and clean and excited. Water baptism doesn't do any of that. Only God's grace received by faith does that. But the focus is on a new identity just for themselves. When you're saved, it's not that you're given a new identity. When you're saved, you're given Christ's identity. That's how we should think about Christianity. We're not just rejecting the old for a new, better, improved 2.0 version of ourselves. That's humanistic. That's self-centered. The new identity that we receive is Christ's identity. Just like a son would have the identity of his father, just like someone who is adopted will receive the identity of the person who adopted him or her, the identity that we receive is not just a bigger, better version of ourselves, but it is the identity of Christ. That's what Paul says when he says that we have uh, put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of, of its creator. This is what faithful obedience looks like in the Christian life. It's when you are presented with the opportunity to sin, you recognize that's not my identity. That's not what Christ would do. Therefore, that's not what I'm going to do. Even if you're not necessarily saying all of that out loud uh, to yourself or even in your head, that is the approach to obedience and sin that faithful Christians are supposed to have. Sometimes we laugh at it, the idea of what would Jesus do, WWJD, but it's so popular, uh, it can be misused, but understood this way in the context of Colossians, it's very healthy. If our identity is in Christ, we should ask ourselves, what would Jesus do in this situation? Is this something that would please Christ? Is this a way that Christ in his obedience and righteousness would respond to this situation? That kind of internal dialogue with ourselves, that kind of perspective, that kind of focus, that kind of identity, that will shape what we do and how we behave. Just like a teenager walking down the mall who has become part of a new clique and has found his identity with whatever this clique is, he'll tell himself, is that what this clique would do? Is this how that clique would dress? Are these the shoes that my group of friends would wear? Are these the kind of words or are these the kind of TV shows that they would say or watch? That's the perspective that he has and how he's identifying himself or as she's identifying herself. We need to do that in our relationship with Christ. Is this the way that Christ would talk to one of his coworkers? Is this the kind of internet search history that Christ would have? Is this the kind of behavior that Christ would have towards his family members? 
Is it the kind of attitude he would have while watching a football game? The list could go on and on, but embracing that kind of attitude in evaluating our behavior, that's faith. That's what faith is. It's depending on our reality of the fact that we have a new identity in Christ. But here's something really interesting. Look at the second half of verse 10. Because Paul doesn't just say that we have put on the new self, that we have received a new identity. He now says something in the second half of verse 10 that seems to contradict itself. He says, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So Paul says that Christians, they put on the new self, but they put on the new self, which is also itself being renewed. What we need to recognize in this verse is is this, that when you're saved, there are two things that happen to you. You are sanctified or, or you are justified positionally, but then you are also sanctified progressively. When we say that word sanctified, the word sanctified means to be made into a saint or to be made holy. We're not talking about the kind of saints that Roman Catholics believe in. We're talking simply about being made holy, being made righteous as Jesus is righteous. That's what sanctification is. When you're saved, when you repent of your sin and trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you are sanctified. You are made righteous in the eyes of God. But guess what? We know this. Even though we're righteous in the eyes of God, God looks down on us as judge and he sees the blood of Jesus Christ. He sees Christ's righteousness over us. Even though that is true, God's spirit that dwells within us knows that we are still in our flesh, that we are still far from God, that that we still have to grow as believers. Do not embrace the attitude of apathy that says because you've been saved that there is no more growth or that there is no more change that needs to happen in your life. By embracing a new identity, seeing yourself as a descendant not of the first Adam but of the second Adam, you also should understand that putting on the new self means that the new self is also being renewed or it's being perfected. It's being transformed in knowledge. That's referring to us learning a knowledge of God's Word in the image of its Creator. That's why Paul spent so much time in Colossians 1 talking about how Jesus is the Creator, how He's the image of the invisible God. Because if He's the Creator, and if Christians are being renewed or given new identity in a process into the image of its Creator— then that means that Christians are in the process of being made into the image of Jesus. Not that we're being made God like Jesus is God, but that we are being made righteous like Jesus is righteous. Therefore, you should understand yourself when you are saved as not just receiving a new identity, but also beginning a process for the rest of your life until glorification in heaven where God is conforming you, he is renewing you, like Romans chapter 12 talks about. Do not be conformed to this world, but by the renewal of your mind, be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. Are you more like Jesus this year than you were last year? 
Are you more like Jesus today than you were five years ago? Are you more like Jesus today than you were when you began attending this church? You should ask yourself that. And if you are not more like Jesus as a result of coming to this church, you need to ask yourself why that's the case, and we as elders and pastors need to be asking ourselves why that is the case. Because that's why the church exists. It's for this process right here to be renewed in knowledge of who Jesus is so that we can be conformed and transformed into his image. Our identity is only found in Christ, meaning that we need to pursue Christ. We need to recognize that we are in a process of being renewed into his image. Pursue that. That is also another element of faith, a desire for that. Have a desire to be more like Christ. That is one of the fruits of being a Christian, a desire to know him and to be like him. Let's finally now go to the third point, the third and final point. We're up to this point, Paul's talking about identity in a vertical sense, referring to how you see yourself in relation to God. But there's, an, uh, there's another element to the Christian life, not just vertically how we see ourselves in relation to God, but also horizontally how we see ourselves in relation to other people. The third point is this, is that we also, need to view others, if they're Christians especially, according to their new identity. And if they're not Christians, well, we need to view them according to their need for a new identity. That's how we should view them. Paul says this uh, in verse 11. It's a statement that he makes multiple times throughout the New Testament. He says, here there is not Greek and Jew. There is not circumcised and uncircumcised. There's not barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. This passage, it shows up in Galatians. I think we have a slide showing that it pops up in Galatians. I won't have time to talk a lot about it. It shows up in Romans. You'll see it shows up in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'll let you write down some of those references. Galatians 5, 6. Let's go back to the previous slide. The reason I'm showing you these is I want to show that Paul likes to often give similar statements in the different letters that he writes, that the Bible is unified, that the Bible is all pointing to similar teaching, one message. But I also want to show this because you will see these verses misquoted terribly in secular culture today. You will see people who embrace like the transgender movement. Uh, they will say things along the lines of, well, there's no such thing as gender anymore uh, because of verses like this. Nothing could be further from the case. What is being said in these verses, these kind of verses, is not that there is a rejection or an elimination of gender or even of ethnicity but that the way that we treat other people should go beyond just their earthly identity. We should look people in accordance to the perspective of what their heavenly identity is or what their lack of heavenly identity is going to be. That we should love and um, be charitable to other people, that, that we should be kind to other people, that we should be gracious to other people. Treat them as Christ would treat them. These different examples that are given, you know, Greek versus Jew, a Greek was more than just a person who was from the cities of Greece. Greek in the New Testament is referring to the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire was Greek in its culture, 
Therefore, when someone was described as a Greek, they were not necessarily being called a citizen of like the cities of Greece, but one who was Roman or Greek in their secular culture, just like the United States when it became a nation was still very English in its culture. Barbarians, you may not know this, but a barbarian is to Romans what Gentiles is to Jews. A barbarian was the word for a non-Roman, for for a non-Greek. Scythians were a group of people from Eastern Europe uh, who were feared as some of the most ruthless barbarians out there. They were hated, they were feared. Paul is saying that the identity of Christ supersedes all of these identities. Not that we should reject them, we should embrace them. We should embrace biblical manhood and biblical womanhood. Uh, We should be proud of our uh, ethnicity, of our skin color. Those are all things that we should uh, embrace because they are creations of God. But more than that, we also must see that the most important identity we can have is being made into the image of Jesus and pointing other people to be made into the image of Jesus. This is not a rejection of gender. This is not a rejection of ethnicity. This is a call to point all those different genders and ethnicities to having a new identity in Christ and treating people with that perspective. Therefore, as we go about this week, as we leave church today, as we go home, as we turn on football, as we go to work this week, what kind of identity are you going to embrace in your life? What is going to be the north star of identity that determines your behavior? If you claim to be a follower of Christ, that identity should be your new identity in Christ. If it's not, you're lying to yourself, to others, and maybe even to God. But... Imagine what God could do with this church if its congregation was full of people who were governing their entire lives, everything they do, everything they give, every song they sing, every event that they go to for the sake of proclaiming Christ and identifying themselves with him. Let's pray. Dear God, may you be glorified as a result of what we do here at Grand Emanuel Baptist Church. May we be a church that is identified in your son, Jesus Christ. May we not be worldly. Uh, may we not just try to be like other churches, but may we try to be like your son. May everything we do reflect Christ-likeness. And Lord, we know that this process, this walk of faith and obedience can only occur by your spirit working through us. So, Lord, we pray that you will equip us by your spirit and that by faith we will depend on you. We pray for all of this in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, have a great rest of your Sunday. Good seeing you. Go in peace. is just-